the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And if you're in that place where you're in the cave, you're in the dungeon of despair, I really believe as clearly as I'm standing today that the God of the universe would speak into your life and he would say, what are you doing here? Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Here we are. We've endured a worldwide pandemic. We've seen perhaps the greatest racial tension, certainly in my lifetime. We've gone through a crazy and chaotic political season that's left our heads spinning. It's easy to see how there could be significant discouragement. And that's exactly what we know is taking place. Studies tell us that one in four teenagers have considered suicide. Senior adults spent much of the last year completely isolated, some even unable to see family, children, and grandchildren. All of us in between, there are many things that could cause us to despair whether we've endured COVID, someone we love, we've grieved because we've lost them to COVID. Maybe we've gone through the pain of seeing relationships broken through this tension that's a he said, she said environment. Or perhaps it's just the circumstances that have gotten us down. And we find ourselves like the individual we're going to look at in Scripture today, Elijah, in our own cave of despair and depression. But we've got good news. This is a place of hope. And we're listening to stories of hope. These are comeback stories. So the story of Elijah is a comeback from depression and despair and discouragement. But before we can even get to that, I I need to give you a bit of a disclaimer. We're talking about depression today, but I want you to know that I'm speaking to a particular group of people, primarily. That's always the case when we gather on Sundays. I'm primarily speaking to those of you who already have begun a relationship with Jesus Christ. So there's a level of assumption that we'll draw from as we walk through the scripture today. But because of that, it's important that you understand that I know from the outset There are types of depression, there are seasons of discouragement that are not simply spiritual. We recognize that in this church. We realize that sometimes there's the need for professional help 
There may even occasionally be the need for medication. We affirm that. We believe that God has placed us in an environment and all the good things that we have access to are from him. And that's okay. If you're at a place where, for example, you're maybe seeing things that others are saying are not reality or you're viewing the world in a way that seems greatly distorted or the people around you are in that category, it may be that they need professional help rather quickly. Another reason that you may need to respond quickly is if you're seriously considering taking your life. We recognize that this season of depression has affected everyone. This week I was with about 10 of the leading large church pastors in our nation. We were gathering to pray, and everyone in the room was talking about their discouragement. All of us know pastors that have taken their lives in the last year. If you get to that point, we want you to know there's always immediate help in addition to your cry out to God. And we live in a nation that recognizes that. And so perhaps you may want to take down this number for yourself or someone in your little corner of the world. It's a National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. It's 1-800-273-8255. You'll never find us in this place diminishing the reality of mental or emotional illness. And if you've battled that, I, I need you to hear that I believe, according to Scripture, you can be mentally ill just as clearly as you are physically ill. The chemicals in your body can be out of whack just like things in your body may cause cancer or other diseases. And we would want you to get help. But I want you to understand that primary audience I'm speaking to. We're gathered in a house of God as children of God. And if you are a child of God, there's something that you need to understand. And that is that Scripture teaches us that we really do have what we need. In fact, it's Peter, one of the apostles, that says in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, His divine power, whose power? His power. Who's Him? God. God's power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Say all things. God's power has granted to you who are children of God all things, say all things, pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. Now, who is this Him? This is through Jesus. We gather uh, under our Father God, recognizing that the Son of God, Jesus, gave, him life for, gave His life for us so that we can have a relationship with Him and live filled with the Holy Spirit of God. So the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and to His excellence. Just as we've sung, when we turn our eyes upon Jesus and live for His glory, the things of this world can begin to grow dim, and we can overcome what we're facing. All that we need, according to the Scripture, is found in the Scriptures. God's giving that to us. So if you're not a child of God, the first step, if you're dealing with discouragement or even depression, is to come to Jesus. And I want you to know that that's possible. That though the Bible says you, like me, were separated from God because of sin in your life, that God doesn't want that. And the whole reason that Jesus came and was born in a baby and lived a perfect life as a man and died on a criminal's cross, the whole reason he raised from the dead is so that he could offer to you forgiveness through his grace and life that comes through a relationship with him. And it would be my prayer. In fact, I've been praying this for days, that if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that this 
is the day of your salvation. That's the first step. Because when we come to Jesus, we know that he cares for us. And he tells us that we can cast our cares on him, the one who cares for us. What about if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you're struggling with depression? If you were to come into one of our offices and sit down with one of our pastoral counselors, the first thing we would ask you would deal with sin in your life. You see, we recognize that there are consequences to sin. And so as a follower of Christ, if you're living with unconfessed sin in your life, then it's not a really surprising thing that you may be dealing with discouragement and despair, despondency, and even depression. We learn that sin has all kind of consequences. It causes all kind of havoc in our life. So let me just give you an example, right? We know that sin is those things that we do that God said don't do. So if there are some things... I do that God said don't do, like if I'm involved, say, in sexual immorality or I'm putting things into my body that are not healthy for my body. If, if that's the case, I'm sinning in those ways. That's just two examples. But it would not be surprising that those have impact on my life and cause me even to deal with discouragement and depression. But sin is also those good things God tells me to do that I don't do. So God tells me to ingest his word, to digest his word, to study his word. And if I don't do that, guess what? That's sin. And so if you're discouraged or you're depressed, but you're not spending any time in God's word, the first thing I would tell you to do is get into God's word. Because as you're going to hear today, that's how he speaks to us. You hear God through his word, and, and maybe that alone would help you. If you're not spending time in prayer, the same thing. God says to pray without ceasing. That means that we can pray continually. We don't have to just be in a church service or, or we don't have to kneel by our bedside or at the dinner table to pray. We can just say, oh yeah, God, I'm facing this and I need your help in this moment. And if you're not praying regularly, that would be a first step because you're, you're sinning by that lack of prayer in your life. What if you're a child of God who has confessed your sin and yet you're still living in discouragement and despair? And you're thinking, what? Why? How? You're just filled with questions. I want to tell you that I believe God has the answers. And that's why this message is so important. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. See, you're going to recognize that Elijah too had questions. But in the midst of his questioning time, God had a question for him. I want to point you to that, and then we'll rewind and bring you back up to date. In 1 Kings 19, where I ask you to turn, 
in verse 13, you see God coming to Elijah in a literal cave in the midst of depression and despair. And God says to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And I just want to remind you, God knows your name. And if you're at that place where you're in the cave, you're in the dungeon of despair, I really believe as clearly as I'm standing today that the God of the universe would speak into your life and he would say, what are you doing here? I want you to come back. I've got more for you. I've got bigger things and greater things for you. So let me help you understand how we got to this point. We first came in contact in contact with Elijah in the context of 1 Kings 17 with a specific encounter with God. And that's what God does. He still encounters us. It may not be in a burning bush or, or it may not be in a literal cave, but God wants to encounter us. Look at Elijah's encounter, 1 Kings 17 verse 1. Now Elijah... He was from Tishbe and Gilead, and and this is important in Scripture because these are real people. These are real people who lived, and they're not fictitious characters. You need to understand that because it, it helps us see what God can do in our lives. He told King Ahab, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Elijah was a prophet. Now, you hear some people call themselves prophets today, but the truth is the biblical prophets were different. There was no Bible. There was not the written word of God. So the biblical prophets, they would, they would give the message of God to the people who needed to hear the message. And so we're told that Elijah was a prophet of God. And, and in this story, he goes to the king and he tells the king, hey, God has said there's not going to be any rain And you know what happens when there's no rain? It creates a dry season. And some of you, you you walked into this room and you're in a dry season. Maybe you're spiritually dry. Perhaps you're just mentally or emotionally dry or, or you're physically dry. You can relate to what we're about to study. I look at the pages of Scripture and I see this verse, the first verse of 1 Kings 17, and I I see some things about Elijah that are striking to me. First of all, it says, Elijah is a servant of the living God. Do you know that we have a living God? I have now spent uh, half my life, 25 years, hanging out with folks like you, and I'm deeply convicted that most of the people that sit in seats in churches don't live as if we really believe that we have a living God. We live as if there's some distant deity that we can't really know, that that we can't really relate to. And that's why we don't look any different than our neighbors when we go through times of stress or disease or difficulty or challenge because we haven't interacted with the living God. Elijah says, I am from the living God. That's the whole message of the gospel that Jesus came and he lived and though he died he rose again and he lives today we serve a living God but it's not just that he had a living God it's that he was a servant of God and what does a servant do the servant does what the master says what does a servant say the servant says what the master says 
That's what a servant is. We too are supposed to be servants of the living God. But guess what? That's the reason the world doesn't see us as different. Because we're not doing what the master says. We're not saying what the master says. It's hard to think that we speak from God. And if you don't have those first two things, if you don't have the recognition that there's a living God, and if you're not living your life as a servant, then you're not going to do the third thing I want you to see from that very first verse about Elijah, and that is that he had confidence in God. So he could go to the king and says, hey, here's what my God told me to tell you. There's not going to be any rain for a long time. And if you don't understand that God's alive and he wants you to be his servant, you're not going to walk in that kind of confidence. And the confidence of Elijah just grew and grew and grew. It grew because he saw God's provision. He, he went to a, a brook, and, and there at the brook, this little stream, when he had nothing to eat, the Bible says God provided for him at the brook of Cherith by ravens. I mean, isn't God amazing? He had no food, and God brought him food from the birds. Why did God do that? Because that's what God does. He specializes in making something out of nothing. He would then go to see this widow lady. And when he would go see this widow lady, God told him to ask her for bread. But there was a problem. When he went to her, she said, I only got enough for one little pan of bread for me and my son. And then we were just going to eat it and say, let's die together. Good morning. God bless you. Have a good day. I mean, think about that. That's cheery. And, and God says, no, no, no. Tell her, just trust me. Just continue to walk in faith, and I'm going to meet the needs. And guess what? She had enough oil and enough flour to make bread, and it just continued and continued and continued. And she never ran out. Why? Because God specializes in making something out of nothing. By the way, Jesus would demonstrate this, right? He would gather with the disciples. He was just teaching. Because really, when the power of God shows up and the Word of God is spoken, people begin to gather. And so people had begun to gather, and there were several thousand people there, and it was lunchtime, and their stomachs were growling. And Jesus looked to the disciples, and he said, what y'all bring to eat? And they were like, nothing. And was that a problem for Jesus? No, because God specializes in making something out of nothing. And so sometimes, church, get ready for this, because I've been setting it up. Sometimes God will let you get back down to nothing so that you can understand he wants to do something in your life. He specializes in making something out of nothing. And so then the lady's boy, he drops dead. What does Elijah do? God uses Elijah to bring him back to life. And so this woman is seeing this prophet who's walking in the confidence of God. And she says in verse 24, Now I know for sure you're a man of God and the Lord truly speaks through you. And that's the way God wants you to be looked at in your little corner of the world. He wants our lives to be lived in such confidence as servants of the living God that the people around us see, I, I can see what you've got. I want some of that. Just think, just think about that. I mean, this sets up who Elijah is. But then God tells Elijah, hey, I, I'm going to deal with this drought. Three years passed. First Kings 18 verse 1 says, later on the third year of the drought, 
the Lord said to Elijah, go and present yourself to King Ahab and tell him, I will soon send rain. Now remember what took place. The people of God, after they got into the promised land, after Joshua died, they didn't know God. And so they said, we need a king. And God gave them a king. They got Saul. He wasn't a great king. Then they got David. He was a man after God's own heart. Then they got Solomon. Then they went through a period where they had good kings, bad kings, good kings, bad kings. And you get to Ahab, and he is a bad king. He's not a good king. And so God is setting up, in the act of this miracle of rain, he's setting up an interaction between the man of God, Elijah, and the bad king. Because God wants us to know that he's always willing and preparing his voice, even in the midst of difficult and dark times. So Elijah does what God commands him. And he gathers the people together and, and there are some that have been followers of God and some that were these pagan people. He goes to Ahab and, and Ahab says, Hey, is that really you? Elijah, you're a troublemaker. He calls him a name. What does Elijah do? Remember, he's walking in the confidence of God. Look at verse 18. He says, I made no trouble here. You and your family are the troublemakers. Ha! When you walk in the confidence of God, you've got the boldness of God to speak truth even into power. He's walking in the confidence of God. And so he's setting up the decision that's there. And, and it's a reminder of what we're facing today because God brings us to a place where we have a choice. Verse 21, it says, Elijah stood in front of them and said, how much longer will you waver? Bobbling between two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people were completely silenced. And that, that makes me think about what happens every time we hear the word of God. You're at a crossroads of choice. And you've got to decide, am I going to walk out of here forgetting what I've heard and not applying the word of God and leaving it, this experience, this moment, like a crumpled piece of paper on the seat that I've left? Or... Am I going to walk about change, walk out change? I've got a choice. I get to decide how I'm going to respond. So Elijah sets up this competition. What, is he, what he's going to do is he's going to allow all these other false prophets, 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah, he's going to allow them to call on their false gods and light the fire if they can. So he has them build an altar put an animal on it and says, pray to your God and see if he'll light the fire. And then he said, I'm going to do the same. And we'll see if my God lights the fire. That's what he says in verse 24. Then call on the name of the Lord your God. I'll call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all the people agreed. So they did it. They went first. That's what he said. Y'all go first. <laughs> so they went first. They built their altar they begin to cry. They begin to dance. They begin to moan. They begin to say, oh, God. Nothing happened. That sets up one of the funniest verses in all the Bible. Verse 27. It says, about noontime, Elijah began mocking them. Y'all need to shout louder, he scoffed. For surely he's a God. Perhaps he's daydreaming. Or he's relieving himself. Y'all know what that means? In the back, y'all know what that means? That's in the Bible. I didn't make that up. 
oh, your God's not answering. Maybe he took a pit stop. Maybe he's at the bathroom. Or maybe he's just away on a trip or he's asleep or he needs to be wakened. Nothing happened. Then Elijah built his altar. After he put the animal there, he said, put, put water around it in a trench. And then drench the animal and the altar and the wood and then fill the trench. And then it says in verse 36, as usual, when the usual time for the offering, the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and he prayed, Oh Lord, oh Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you're God in Israel, that I'm your servant. Prove that I've done all this at your command. Oh Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you're Lord, that you're God, that you brought them back to yourself. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910.